They did it. Trump has been arraigned. Now, there's a lot to this, and we will keep up with it as, as time goes by. But really, anyway, for, for now, I'm just going to kind of let somebody else sum it up, and then we're just going to move on to some other things. So let's uh, just take the words of a former governor of Illinois. They're charging President Trump with things that are not crimes. One positive thing, I suppose you could say about the DA over there, Bragg, is that he keeps his campaign promises. Here's a guy who ran on a campaign promise to charge President Trump. The other thing you can say about him is he's violating his oath of office and destroying the Constitution and the rule of law. And if anybody, anybody ought to be going to prison or charged with crimes for this episode, it ought to be that DA. These weaponized, uncontrolled, corrupt prosecutors are going to destroy our democracy, steal our freedoms, and take from us, we the people, our right to choose our own leaders in elections. Thank you for listening to A Hope and a Future, a podcast that explores the church's intended role and influence in the earth, both now and in years to come. So last week, I believe it was last week, I talked about the Nashville Christian School where there was a shooting. Um, You know, this transgender person, this girl pretending to be a boy, goes into the school, ended up uh, shooting six people, three children and uh, three adults. So Joe Biden has weighed in at this point on this tragedy, and here's what he had to say in a post that he made on social media. Now, uh, keep in mind, this is days, days, mere days after this tragedy. He says, On Transgender Day of Visibility, we want you to know that we see you just as you are. Made in the image of God. This is amazing. He, He evokes the name of God. Of course, you know, he talks about how Catholic he is all the time too. But anyway, he says, Made in the image of God and deserving of dignity, respect, and support, we'll never stop working to create a world where you won't have to be brave just to be yourself. So that's what that's that's how uh, Biden is gonna uh, is gonna speak on this issue days after a massacre. So what if your child? Just think about it, what if your child? What if your child had been killed in that shooting? And that's what your president has to say a couple of days later. Uh, meanwhile, Karine uh, Jean Pierre, uh, she says basically. Uh, two things. She basically said, we stand with the trans community and ban assault rifles. That's pretty much, that's pretty much her, uh, her take on the situation. And of course, these are two of the big issues for the left, the LGBTQ agenda and take people's guns away. These are big things for the left. So let's think about the LGBTQ part first here. For example, is Richard Levine. Now, Richard Levine is, of course, the guy that goes now by Rachel. And shockingly, this confused man is the assistant secretary of health at the Department of Health and Human Services, um, operating under the delusion that he's a woman. So, you know, kind of let that sink in. So here he is just overjoyed about how the Department of Health and Human Services recently flew the trans flag over the building. 
Happy Transgender Day of Visibility. I am Admiral Rachel Levine, the Assistant Secretary for Health at the Department of Health and Human Services. For the second year in a row, the transgender flag is flying above our department in Washington, D.C. And this is an affirmation of the administration's support for the transgender community and across the nation, as well as our support for evidence-based gender-affirming care. Okay, that's really gross. Okay, that's just gross. But it's not only gross, it's delusional. People like Richard Levine are not well. Okay, this is mental illness. That's what it is. But, but instead of doing what makes sense and looking at the shooting in Nashville through that lens, the White House wants to come to the defense of the killer because of his identity, because of his delusion because this is a person who's clearly mentally ill believing that she is a male, okay? This, this is mental illness. Let me give you a couple of examples. <clears throat> In Canada, there was this mob of, of transgender activists, and they became, they became violent attacking physically this man uh, who was there. Now, what, what was this man's big crime? He showed up at this this big rally where they're trying to get transgenderism just everywhere. And he has a sandwich board on. And on this sandwich board, it simply says, children can't consent. Okay. Obviously referring to the fact that, you know, even if a, even if a small child begins to come into agreement with this idea that they're the wrong gender at that age, it, you ignore it, you correct them, you know, and you move on. So he's wearing this sandwich board, which simply says children can't consent. Well, these guys, first of all, if you, if you watch this video, you can find it online. If you watch the video, these uh, big hulking men who look like they dressed up for Halloween to be women are inches away from this guy's face screaming, F you, F you, at this guy. Eventually, they just throw him on the ground and beat him up. Meanwhile, there were, there were several cops around, and they, they didn't interfere. They just kind of watched as it went on. It's, it's on YouTube. You can watch the video. Insane. <clears throat> so, uh, what can you say? That's Canada. All right, that's Canada. But listen, we're not, we're not far behind. We're not far behind. In Texas, there was a mob rallying against some legislation banning these mutilating surgeries on children, Okay. And, and now, uh, remember, this, this too, immediately following the Nashville school shooting. Um, and if you look at this video, if you watch it, what you're going to see is you're going to see nothing but middle fingers up in the camera uh, and people shrieking and yelling and, and saying, ironically, protect trans kids. <laughs> Pro- protect? This is how we're going to protect trans kids by making sure they have irreversible mutilating surgeries and take hormone blockers. That's how we're going to protect these kids. These people are not well. Kairos Artistry is a small business in Western North Carolina that began with a love of capturing the simple moments of life for all to enjoy through the lens of a camera. Kairos Artistry has developed into a robust video and photography business, covering all areas in the field. Some of Kairos Artistry's featured services include drone property.
property tours and interior floor plans, capturing your favorite athlete in high action sports photos, highlighting products or accentuating the look of your website, acquiring that ideal professional headshot for your portfolio. Kairos Artistry is ready to walk you through all the services they offer and customize them in order to meet your needs. You can contact Kairos Artistry by calling 828-284-3008. Kairos Artistry LLC is FAA licensed and insured. So now in a story that combines the left's two fascinations that we're talking about, the LGBTQ agenda and gun control, uh, I have to I have to bring this story up. Dylan Mulvaney, basically this guy is famous by pretending to be a girl. That's that is that's all this guy is, as far as I know, all he's done that uh, anybody knows anything about. But it has made him famous. He's been Drew Barrymore uh, has a talk show. He's been a guest on there, and uh, he I think he was on The View. He was on I think Ellen DeGeneres show. He's so he's really he's really became become just this really famous transgender person. And I want to play you a clip of of Dylan Mulvaney kind of doing his little routine recently. Impressive carrying skills, right? I got some Bud Lights for us. So, I kept hearing about this thing called March Madness, and I thought we were all just having a hectic month, but it turns out it has something to do with sports. And I'm not sure exactly which sport, but either way, it's a cause to celebrate. This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. That's right. This this guy... This guy who thinks he's a girl, or at least pretends that he thinks he's a girl, is the new spokesperson for a beer. And a, and you know what? Let's be honest. A redneck beer at that. Bud Light. What 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 are they doing? This you know what this shows you about these companies? These big companies are not even interested in their consumer base anymore. They're they're not even interested in customer satisfaction anymore. They're big enough not to worry about it. There, there used to be a phrase, um, go woke, go broke. Now that, you can, you can kind of use that as a motto for small businesses. But when you get into these monster corporations, they can do it. They can pull it off. They can take a loss. And apparently this hustle of the left is more important. And they feel like they're, you know, of course, um, they're kind of giving this, uh, this air of of understanding and you know all of this stuff. I, I don't know how this is going to play out for uh, Bud Light, but Dylan Mulvaney is now the spokesperson for Bud Light. Now you might be saying, okay, so there. Okay, now you said guns were kind of going to come into this somewhere. Okay, so how do guns come into this story? Well, here's Kid Rock responding to Bud Light's little move. Grandpa's feeling a little frisky today. Let me uh, say something to all you and be as clear and concise as possible. Ha! 
So in the video, that sound that you probably recognized was Kid Rock blowing a few 12 packs to smithereens with a fully automatic weapon. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, control this. That's all I can say. I wanted to stop here and pause and tell you that I have actually written two books. And I uh, want to make sure that uh, you know where to find these books. I think they have great information uh, for the church in our day. I don't posture myself as being a great writer, but I do have a great editor. And so she makes me sound like a lot better writer than I actually am. But this information, I do believe, is very important for the church in our day. And so I wanted to let you know, Kiss the Sun, S-O-N, is the first book written by Stephen Smith. I spell my name with a P-H, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Smith. The second book is actually a follow-up to the first, and that book is called Three Strands of Relationship, also available on Amazon. So I thank you for checking those books out. And now let's get back to the episode. All right, before I get into this last thing I want to talk about, I want to make sure that I let you know next week is a big deal. I'm so looking forward to the episode that's going to be coming out next Monday. Um, I have a very special guest, and I am really excited about getting to sit down and talk with this guy. So make sure that you uh, download, check out the next episode. Okay, so in the United Methodist Church, there's currently a lawsuit going on. And I just want to hit some high spots of this. I found this a fascinating, fascinating thing. Um, the lawsuit, now this is according to their own publishing, the, the uh, United Methodist Church. Um, it's like a, you know, a paper or whatever. According to that, uh, this lawsuit is filed by 186 churches uh, on March the 30th in Cobb County Superior Court in Marietta, Georgia. Okay, so this means that this is involving about a quarter of uh, Georgia's conference, okay? So basically what this is, is um, a situation in which several churches, several local churches have wanted to separate from the United Methodist Church because of abandoning some very obvious biblical principle, okay? Um, you know, you, you, can, you can imagine homosexual marriage, homosexuality, you know, in the pulpit, that kind of thing. And then other things too, all the LGBTQ stuff. And there's even some, there's even been some stuff going on about questioning the virgin birth and different, just, it's really pretty sad stuff. But many of these local gatherings have wanted to disassociate with the conference over this. Now, what, what, if I understand it right, this is basically what has happened. The, their ability to leave that denomination is not as easy as just saying, hey, we're out, okay? Um, the way this works, you have these churches that are sitting on property. And this property has been, um, is considered 
the belonging of the entire conference. You can kind of see where this begins to become a, a problem, okay? Um, this is something that goes back all the way to Wesley, okay? There's, they can't just disassociate. So what they're doing in the lawsuit is they're basically saying, we want to be able to maintain the property that we're sitting on and disassociate from the conference. Meanwhile, the conference has done a little, you know, a little shuck and jive there to make sure that, um, that this is going to be difficult for, for them to do. Okay, so as this is all going on, we have um, kind of this, this fighting going back and forth. You have these different, um, you know, different legal entities involved. Um, just for example, um, let me find, here's, here's a, here's an example. So this is what it says in the article at one point. Um, the National Center for Life and Liberty, a non-Methodist legal nonprofit that has been working, uh, for the Wesleyan Covenant Association in legal strategy is representing the churches in lawsuits against other conferences. Um, so then meanwhile, you have uh, different judges who are stepping in. Um, a Louisiana judge, this is according to the same article, a Louisiana judge on March 23rd dismissed a, uh, a suit brought by a group of retired United, Meth- United Methodist pastors seeking to halt church disaffiliations. So they were just trying to to halt the the ones that were trying to leave. They just wanted to bring it to a stop. The judge from Louisiana said, no, you can't do that. Um, then it goes on to say the North Georgia conference recently faced another legal dispute involving the departure of Mount Bethel church, a member of the Wesleyan covenant association uh, the conference and congregation reached a settlement last year that saw the mega church paying 13.1 million to the trustees to leave the United Methodist Church with property and become independent. Okay, so how is this all going to pan out? I have no idea. But there is something about this that just really strikes me. You may remember I talked about a a comment that I got a few weeks ago Um on my Facebook page, which by the way, be sure to leave me comments if you want to or questions. I'll address them on the podcast. But in this one, I was I was basically answering this comment that said that we should stay out of the culture war as the church. That he didn't, remember he said, I don't see anything in the Great Commission about the church needing to fight the culture war. And of course I went to the, I went to the, <laughs> to the actual scripture of the, what we've come to call the Great Commission. And it talks about, going out into the nations and and making disciples, baptizing them, um, teaching them to observe all the things Jesus taught. Clearly, I I clearly disagree with with, uh, his take on the church staying out of the culture war. But here's here's what I found interesting about this situation with the United Methodist Church. So many people will say, oh, don't engage in the culture war. The church ought to stay out of the culture war. But then we'll turn around and go to that culture's court to settle our disputes. Which is interesting considering 1 Corinthians. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 6. Here's Paul. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous 
and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not, I'm sorry, is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Pretty clear, pretty clear. So, you know, I find it a little, just a little appalling. I'm sure a lot of the people involved in all of this stuff going on with the United Methodist Church probably would have the opinion that we stay out of the culture war. And here they go into the culture to go to court to disaffiliate from the conference. And, and it goes both ways. I just find that surprising. Kind of sheds some light, by the way, on some of our interpretations of what Jesus said about don't judge. I mean, what we see, you know, what we see in that is that Paul makes it clear that we should be able to judge. That's not a difficulty. I believe what Jesus is saying when he says don't judge is he, he's saying don't, don't create your own standard by which you judge. What he, if, if I look at a homosexual and I say, according to Romans 1, you're wrong. If they say you're judging me, I can look back at them and say, no, I'm not. I'm repeating back to you a judgment already made before the foundation of the earth. So that's not judging. Now, another one I, I want to show you is just a few chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians. Now, this is 1 Corinthians 1, and this is something Paul says. Now, this is a little, this is a little, uh, most churches in America are in an interesting situation as it applies to this. So, so this is what it says. Paul says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, I don't put a great deal of emphasis on the little headings that are inserted in Scripture, but in this case, I'm going to read the heading just before what I read. It says, sectarianism is sin. Sectarianism is essentially to be divided into factions, okay? Paul's saying that, that he doesn't want that. He, he, he feels like that's inappropriate for the, there to be people who are following Paul, people who are following Apollos, following Cephas, whoever it might be. And I just want to point out, couldn't the United Methodists, and, and this is not, I'm not jumping on the United Methodists. It just, this is, this is the denomination that that case happened to be about, and that's why I'm addressing it this way. But think about this, and you can insert other names here, but couldn't Paul have just as easily looked at the people that are in this legal dispute, going through all of this torture 
with the denomination who owns the property. They want to keep their property. They don't, all this going on. Couldn't Paul look at them and say, you should not be saying I am of Wesley. What this is, is the fruit of our rallying around doctrine doctrines. We're not relationally driven in the church. We are doctrinally driven in the church, and that's inappropriate. Doctrine's doctrine's important, but that's not what you are revolving around. The The two commands that Jesus says are the greatest are that you love. You love the Lord your God, and you love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commands hang all the law and the prophets, all of it. Okay, so everything revolves around relationship. Everything revolves around love. God is love. But the fruit of our being denominationally driven is that we have begun to split off and splinter and begin to rally around a different way of looking at baptism or a different way of looking at communion or a different way of looking at you know, the, the divinity of Christ versus the manhood of Christ. And these different ideas, and we've, we've refused. I've talked about this so much during this, in, in this podcast over the, over the months. We can no longer just stay together. We can't just stay together in a place where we're not putting doctrines as the number one thing. We can agree to disagree. We are not willing to do that. It's, it's like there's, are you pre-trib or are you post-trib? Well, I'm not going to be able to run with you if, you're, if you disagree with me on it. That's sin. That's what Paul's saying. And, and the, the thing about denominations is that we can now see that we've done this on such a grand scale that the vast majority of American Christians are denominational Christians. They're in a denomination, okay? So, so doctrine is important, but it's overruled by relationship. So what's to be done? Well, let me just, let me just say this. How, you know, how do we change? I would say it this way, very slowly, <laughs> very slowly. Do I think that the bride without spot, wrinkle, but is holy and without blemish is a denominational bride? Absolutely not. I do not. However, God is gracious and merciful and patient and kind. And I believe that he wants to fix this stuff. I don't think he wants to strike anybody with lightning over it. I think he wants to, he wants to address it and correct it. And I believe we're going to see that happen. And if we can believe, and I, I can almost imagine people saying, dude, you know, sounds good, but let's face it, it's too far gone. It's just too, we're too deep in it now. They'll know, we'll never be able to do anything about the Baptists, Southern Baptists, blah, 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 on and on and on. We'll never be able to do anything about that. Okay, if that's going to be our attitude, then I should stop podcasting because the the beast of transgenderism, the beast of the LGBTQ thing, this, that is a nasty, huge, organized movement in the earth. And if we don't think that we can overcome the issues within the church that we're facing, even if it takes time, but if we don't think that we can overcome those then I think we're being a little naive to think that we can have a serious impact on the evil that is trying to take our nation from us now. I'm Stephen Smith, and this is A Hope and a Future. A Hope and a Future is a weekly podcast 
Produced and recorded at Foster the Sound Studio. Graphic design by Kairos Artistry. A hope and a future is available on all listening platforms. Thank you for any comments and feedback.